Welcome, 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 everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Unplugged Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Rose, and today we're joined by professional soccer player uh, and social entrepreneur, Hugh Roberts. Hugh, welcome to the show. How are you? I appreciate you guys having, for having me. Uh, no problem, man. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a, it's a Saturday here in Toronto. Where are you uh, joining us from today? It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm down here in Charlotte right now. It's like a 55, 60 degree day weather. Nice the sun's out for the first time in a minute. So I finally get to enjoy a nice little weekend before the season starts. Nice. So, I mean, we're, we're still in a pandemic. Sports is still going on somehow, some way. And, you know, your league has, has found a way to restart the season. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, how has, you know, this COVID experience been for you? How have you been able to grow, learn, uh, Share some stories. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's been interesting. COVID, you know, we were not in a bubble like what they did last year in the NBA and MLS. So we basically had a bubble every single away game. We couldn't go out and get food on home. When we're home in our markets, you can't really do anything besides going to the grocery store and going to the gym and practice and stuff like that. So we bubbled with the whole season and thankfully no one on the team tested positive. But it was also interesting on that side too because we weren't, I feel like we were malnourished. We weren't get, getting the proper food on the way trips and stuff because the budgets were smaller. We weren't able to just go out and get your own food. So you had to deal with that. But it also taught me last, because um, of COVID, I really, I didn't even train with a team like that during COVID times. I really just trained with one of my boys one-on-one. It taught me a lot that you really, it can really just be you and somebody else training and working. You don't really need team functions. Because sometimes, you know, the team functions, you don't get the right touches you need. If the team levels is crappy, then your level might be crappy too. But when you're one-on-one with somebody, you can work on everything that you need. So that's really what, really what I did all last summer. So um, and then not only that, with my brand and my podcast, it definitely gave me some more time to grow, research, figure out other avenues that I can grow that as well and created a foundation and stuff too and use my platform a little bit too. So yeah, it was a good year. Wow, that's amazing. And Look forward to unpacking all of that and getting into all of that. Um, it's funny that you talk about uh, how, you know, COVID has now changed your mindset. I'm sure that's changed the mindset for a lot of people that are constantly in the gym, right? Oh, I need to right. go to the gym just to work out, right? I, I need to do this right. just to do this. I think COVID has, has made all of us a little bit more resilient and given us all the ability to think outside whatever box that's in front of us or that we've created. So uh, congrats to, to you and um, love to hear that you've used the time to find something else out about yourself, right? And, and really grow your brand and, and grow the things that you, you know, you do outside of the sport. Um, but before that, we'd love to, you know, learn a little bit about you and, and your background being from Maryland, uh, how you got into soccer and eventually going on to, to play soccer at George Mason University and now being a professional soccer player and an athlete entrepreneur. But we want to learn a little bit more about, you know, where did things start for you, right? Like, when did you find that love and uh, affection for the game? Yeah, <clears throat> so I was actually born in Queens, New York. That's where my mom's from, my whole mother's side's up there. My dad's from Jamaica, though. He actually went to NC State University, played soccer there. He didn't play professionally or anything, but played semi-pro, so literally – out of the womb, I was, you know, kicking the ball with him, running around the track with him, seeing him play his pro games. So that's kind of how I fell in love with it very early. 
but I was actually a dual athlete my whole life, played basketball as well my whole life because of my mother being from New York, loving b-ball as well. And I, I picked up a, a love for it fast up in D.C., you know how the talent is out there. And so then we moved down to Maryland when I was, you know, early still, probably like five or so. Um, you know, grew up in the DMV system. I really just played rec MSI soccer, rec soccer. My dad didn't really know much about club level yet. Then we happened to stumble upon Potomac Cougars because they had a Jamaican coach at the time. Still my only black coach till this day in middle school. But we fast forward. He, he gave me my opportunity. I was very raw and didn't have any skills like that, but gave me my, gave me my chance. And then from there, um, I, like I said, I was a dual athlete. So I also played AAU ball with Triple Threat in D.C. The dudes like Oladipo, um, played against Quinn Cook, all them guys, or D.C. Blue Devils, those errors and stuff like that. So, you know, it gave me a different perspective seeing, like, you know, the black world in D.C. and also dealing with the white world in soccer, too, battling that. I went to the Council High School, which is a private school in the WCAC with, like, DeMatha, Gonzaga, and all those other top schools. But I actually went there for b-ball, not soccer, because soccer at the council was not, it was like secondary. Ended up doing well in both sports, decided to drop basketball and stuff with soccer. And that kind of just propelled my career and got me here to this day. But DMV, DMV is, is talent, talented in a lot of sports. It produces good athletes. So, you know, every club game, every academy game was competitive. I still to this day have a lot of friends still playing pro and we talk about those moments because they produce not just in soccer, basketball, football, even the girls' sports, lacrosse, everything. Like, there's a lot of competition in the DMV. So, definitely raises your level. And I would say it definitely got me here to this day. That's amazing. Wow, there's there's so much there I want to ask about. Um, you know, playing against, you know, basketball players. Like, who was, who was your game like? Like, if you had to model your game back then to somebody that's playing in the league right now, who would you say your game was like? I say it's like uh, it's still Old Depot and maybe like a little Jimmy Butler. It's a little bit definitely like a bulldog with a mentality. Um, Old Depot can sh probably shoot a little better than me now. <clears throat> I wasn't really a shooter like that. I was like a, a slasher, a sister, getting the contact and one kind of thing. But and that's why I speak to kind of Jimmy Butler because he has no problem getting down and dirty with the mentality and stuff. And that's kind of who I was. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I decided to stick with soccer. But, yeah, it was a good time. Traveled to Vegas twice, went down to Florida for the Disney showcase. And yeah, basketball was actually heavy in my life. At one point, my parents thought I was going to go to college for basketball, not soccer. So it's funny how life works. So what, how did you choose? Like, how did you say, you know what, I'm going I'm to take this soccer ball instead of basketball? Yeah, I mean, being 6'4 is different in basketball and soccer. So I kind of figured I'd have a better chance with that. I was having some good success with it. But also didn't I did not like my high school basketball coach too. So I played junior year and then I decided just to not play my senior year of high school because he ruined the game for me. I love my AAU coach, but I didn't like high school ball. And I was like, you know, and coaches have that influence sometimes. They can ruin the game for you and it kind of ruined it for me. And so I was like, you know, I'm gonna take my chances with soccer. Being six four and that is different than basketball as well. And I can finally I feel like I can make an impact. So absolutely steer me to that decision. So knowing what you know now, obviously becoming a soccer player, um, knowing that you didn't like your basketball coach and, you know, obviously growing up, being an adult and so on and so forth, what would you change about your high school experience? Like, would you just try to ignore the coach? Would you just, you know, maybe have transferred schools? Because um, I really hate to hear those stories because that's essentially is what happened to me in college and like my, my career was done after that. Um, but what would you have changed if you could going back? 
Um, you know, I don't. I, I do wish I played senior of high school ball. I don't regret going to college for soccer. That's one of the best times. I'm very glad I, I did. Still, maybe, going, of course, going to ball for college is completely different when you're playing b-ball. But you know, I do wish I played basketball my senior year just because I love my boys and I love the game, and I, I still to this day miss playing. But I don't really regret not making that decision not to play in college and go pro in that aspect. I, I think I kind of found my stitch with that and my avenue with those things. And um, you, you just never know. There's a bunch of talented players in the WCAC that were better than me at the time. And a lot of them are just using their degrees now, working in corporate jobs that go for them. But here I am still living my passion and fulfilling my dream. So you just never know how those things work. The only thing I regret is just like playing in general, my friends, my senior year of high school. Yeah. I think that's important for anyone that plays sports or does you know does instruments it's important to end on your own terms right mm-hmm. it's important to say hey you know what i'm going to stop because i wanted to stop right so you're going right. to always have that damn i should have done this i should have done that but right. goes to you for you know still looking at uh bringing success towards you now you did talk a lot about the dmv and you know dmv is home to a lot of talented folks uh you know your kds of the world your Michael Beasley's of the world, uh, Wale. I'm a huge Wale fan. Love Wale. Um, I remember, you know, growing up as a kid and coming down to Virginia for the Boo Williams tournament. Yeah, yeah, yep. I was in that. That was, that was a that was a tournament. I was like, oh man, this. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a five. What I think I was five eight at the time, guarding guys that were like six three. Um, <laughs> the energy there was definitely different. But I want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about you know the DMV and and mumbo like is that actually all made out is that actually like what explain mumbo mumbo it's the sauce mumbo sauce so of course the song came out popularized it but you know mumbo is like a sweeter barbecue-ish kind of sauce I, i would definitely say it's real the hype is real it's definitely unique to the city i really haven't found like a sauce like that even down here in the south but it's, it's more so like a sweeter barbecue-ish sauce but i highly recommend it for anyone in dc Exactly. Definitely, it's, it's what the hype's about. Nah, absolutely. Now, next time I'm allowed to travel, like I got a my aunt lives in uh, Silver Spring. If I'm able to make it back down there, we'll definitely mm. give that a try. Um, but what about Google Music? Describe that for people who may have never heard of that before. Yeah, go go. It's definitely a DC thing. What you do, you beat your feet to it. I was definitely beating my feet all the time in high school. I, I can't really describe it without like doing it or showing it but is that but that basically you know dc's way of showing the culture is more of like your instruments not necessarily where you know you're out there street performing or street dancing it's all about the music and the tunes and the beats and the instruments that go behind it and of course you add the lyrics and the songs to it but it's more so with the aspects of the drums and everyone just feeling the groove and there's a lot of instruments involved it's hard to explain but you have to definitely check it out sometimes very unique to dc but it's a lot of instruments playing and then of course you add the music to it that's your mumble sauce and everything but you know it's known for beating your feet and there's a beat your feet kings and then they perform all the time i heard worldwide with you know making it more national so yeah it's, it's definitely something that people should look up and watch Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, uh, I've been to DC a couple of times and, uh, you'll, you know, you'll be out late one night and, you know, people will get into a circle and you know, mm-hmm. things will start happening. Mm-hmm. You're like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, no, definitely a vibe. Love DC. Um, one thing I wish I did though, I wish I went to visit Howard. I never got the chance to visit. 
I went to Georgetown, went to some of these other schools, but I never got the chance to visit Howard. So a uh, big shout out to DC. Now talk to us about your, you know, your recruiting process. Actually, before your recruiting process, growing up as a kid, did you have any jobs, uh, any, any things that you did outside of sports? Yeah, uh, I did karate. I was actually a black belt. Um, I basically worked summer camps in like, since like seventh grade. At one point in basketball, I was on this camp. But I was too tall and I was actually pretty good early on. So they're like, you know, why don't you just be a counselor? And so I was a counselor as early as like seventh, eighth grade. And I was coaching every summer. I'm still coaching to this day. And literally from then on, I started that coaching aspect for me. So it was a lot of like summer camps always. You know, of course, I did like car wash, mow your most neighbor's lawn for some money. I had a bunch of chores growing up with, around the house and stuff too. But it was more so I did karate till I was like 10 or 11, got my black belt, hopped out of that. And then did like the summer camp thing and was just busy with sports for like the rest of my life. That's amazing. So it sounds like you were, you know, very busy, had lots to, yeah. lots to do. Miss a lot of family time. I would say that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's important. Um, I think, you know, as we, as we grow up as men, we always want to have our hands in different things because, you know, our lives are going to change, right? You're not going to play soccer forever. Mm-hmm. Right. At some point you might go back to, um, working with kids through your foundation, that maybe that becomes your full-time job, right? So it's important to dabble into, into things that interest you and, and figure out what you're really good at at some of those things as well. Now, I, I do want to chat about, you know, your, your college recruitment process and George Mason, you know, was close, staying close to home uh, important to you? Um, and what other offers did you have or were you considering? I wouldn't say it was that important. I actually committed to Northeastern University up in Boston, um, the same conference, but they're my first offer and my official visit there and everything. And I actually enjoyed it. But then George Mason came around. It was just a verbal commitment. And then George Mason came around and I was like, you know what? It would be nice to stay around home, have all my boys here, all my friends here. You know, it felt like it was right outside, outside D.C. to the big city. So that played a role in me committing to Mason, but at first, like, it, I was actually looking at Providence as well. They had a black coach at the time who really liked me. So I was really, and then he, I think, well, got fired or something happened with him. So I never heard about her from Providence again after I visited, but I was really considering Providence a lot. And then that, that kind of folded. So then, so then Mason came through and I was like, you know, it would be good to stay home and stay with my contacts and build that. But, you know, recruiting wise, I just, from Potomac, Cougars and club in middle school, we progressed to the academy team, was on the academy team. When you're on an academy team, you go to showcases, you go to a lot more bigger tournaments and stuff. And then that's when you get exposure to bigger colleges and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I got recruited. Amazing. Amazing. I think, you know, you mentioned uh, the black coach and wanting to go and play for a black coach. Um, How many black coaches have you seen, head coaches, have you seen throughout your soccer career? Um, probably like less, maybe less than five, five max, but like less than, I've had one, my career, one in my career and I was in middle school and that's it. I've seen, um, in high school, there weren't any club academy days, weren't any that I remember in college. I told you about that one coach in Providence that fell through. Maybe there's like one black coach in college that I saw. And then in the pro world, maybe Max, like there's one USL head coach right now that's black. But other than that, <clears throat> maybe one. It's, it's rare. So would you say some of these um, 
would you say, you know, having a black coach would have would have maybe changed some of the trajectories in your career? Because I feel with with college coach with coaches just in general, you know, one your job is to win, right? But to get the best out of your players, your students is being able to be relatable and have ensuring that, you know, your, your players relate to you and they understand you. And it feels it literally feels like a family. Right. Uh, do you think seeing more black coaches would have, you know, maybe gave you a different trajectory when it came to soccer? hundred percent. Maybe I wouldn't even be here to this day. But, you know, one of the big problems is there's no understanding because there's no black coaches that are there to understand us. So a lot of these times these white coaches bench us because of attitude problems when we really have an attitude problems at home or something bench us because they don't understand us. Or even in the pro world, you can go on away trips and white coaches only talk to the white players. Don't talk to the black players. I wouldn't say because they have some like racist views or anything, but they just don't understand us. So you're not going to sit with someone you don't understand. You know what I'm saying? But that also makes us black players feel uncomfortable and unwanted because we see them go over to the white guy and put his arms around them, ask him how your day's going, but they don't say anything to us. You know what I mean? And so I've had a lot of friends, even myself, just decide to retire and quit. Even as early as high school, that's when I really saw when we went to academy. My Potomac team was a bunch of black and Spanish players. We went to academy. Now we had a white coach come through, cut a bunch of the you know minority players, brought in some more white players, and then all my boys who were really good. You know, I had some attitude problems too, but he was really punishing us for attitude problems and dues. You might even talk back. He decides not to play you in a showcase or a big tournament on the weekend. Like you're not getting looked at by colleges, all because of him having some kind of hard feelings against you in practice. All them little micro, oh man, I, I keep going about that, but it's really, microaggression. It's, micro, it's real, it's real. So, you know, that's why I'm trying to push now to get more black coaches out there because for the youth, especially, you know, black kids who are coming up and they see a coach who's not like them really, it, it kind of makes them steer a different direction. And then we tend to go to basketball, football, and all these other sports because all of us, our kinfolk are in it and stuff. And I can't knock it at all, but it's something I'm trying to change here. And it goes a long way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, that was well said. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the, the, the black experience is the lived experience. You know, it's, it's something that we've got to navigate every single day. And I don't think people really understand when, you know, you may have like, hey, like you may have the idea to win the next game. But if you're not comfortable to even go and recommend it to your coach, everyone loses right so i think this goes back to the, the the thought that not the thought but the statement that it's important to have diversity of thought as well right so when right. they're putting together these professional teams and how do players mesh and how do players work together you need different people to put these teams together but if if it's everyone from one race that understands everything in one way it doesn't fit for everyone right, right? so um, would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what you guys are doing at the Black Players, um, sorry, USL Black Players Alliance, USL BPA. Uh, and what's your role there? You know, how are you trying to affect change moving forward? Yes, yeah, so I'm an executive member, one of the founding members of the USL BPA. Actually got started through my podcast. Now we've been in talk with the USL headquarters, trying to enact some initiatives annually, not just this year, but for the rest of the tenure of the whole USL's, you know, existing um, tenure. But, you know, we're trying to enact things where clubs have to invest more into black businesses within the community. 
bring more black attendance. Of course, we want executive positions, not just head coaching positions, but the higher up the president roles, the COO, CFO, those kind of positions, because we need people in higher positions to pull strings for the coaches and the players below. But we're, we're the voice for all minorities in our league. So any altercation happens on the field, we support our players 100%. If they want to do some kind of display on the field, we support our players. And we're, that's what we, we found ourselves for, to give ourselves a voice and a platform to speak, but ultimately affect change where, you know, hopefully like a Juneteenth celebration happens and comes around now because we want that education standpoint where people are educated on us and our culture as well. So it's something we're pushing right now with the USL. We're trying to create like an anti-racism club where clubs have to stay with, within certain standards, not just like what they say on social media wise, what they what the coaches do, but, you know, are they hiring more like-minded kin folk like us? Are you, you know, at least interviewing some more of us like that? at least given um, more head coaching positions, just little things that we're now holding every club accountable since we founded this group. But, you know, we're actually meeting with the USL on Monday, trying to get things enacted before the preseason starts in like a couple of weeks. That's amazing, man. Congratulations. Um, and kudos to you for, you know, taking an activist approach uh, and, and trying to, trying to be, trying to be the change that you want to see. I think with these, with these, anti-racism clubs and uh, you know programs and alliances I, I read online I believe it was ipsos.com they're American market research firm and I get an email maybe once a week and I read that 74% of Americans believe that um, companies that pledge to do things for the black community haven't done it they haven't done it right mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of crazy hugh because i just started well i just finished watching uh amend on netflix i don't know if you've seen that what's it called amend amend a-m-e-n-d mm -hmm. it's like hosted by will smith it goes back into oh 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 yeah yeah I, I started that i didn't finish that but i'm on the first episode like 45 fire. deep yeah it's deep it's so yeah. fire. Holy yeah. smoke. It was hearing you talk about, you know, fighting for change. This documentary, this docu-series does such a in-depth dive into what that world was like. And they the way they, they tell the story and bringing in other guests and other other speakers, if you will, uh, they, they did an absolute amazing job. I would definitely recommend you uh, and anyone listening, watching it. Um, wow. It, it was, I don't even, I, I want to talk about it, but I don't want to ruin it for you, anyone that's going to watch it. But you did mention, you know, your podcast, um, you know, Backyard Footy is really what drove the launch of the USL uh, BPA. Uh, explain. So last year with the whole movement and everything, um, I decided to, I had my podcast, it was found in 2018, last year, Black Lives Matter movement. I decided to use my podcast to get together like 15 to 20 black USL players and MLS players to talk about the struggles of being a black soccer player. So I actually had two editions of it. First edition, um, it it took off honestly like people loved it to hear our views they didn't know anything about this after my second one a couple of weeks later 
FC Cincinnati caught wind of some conversations that some of their players were saying on my show. One of them were saying how they're receiving racist, racial comments within their DMs and you know getting hate slurs and hate messages still after the club put out a couple of statements. And they had no idea. And so he's on my podcast talking about this and I put it on Twitter and stuff. And then the FC Cincinnati fans caught wind of it, you know, retweeted and shared it. After a day, FC Cincinnati donated $250,000 to their local minority communities, all because of my podcast and our conversations. So we talked behind the scenes and we're like, you know, we got to keep this going. We got to keep a momentum going. And then George Floyd happened, NBA shuts down and everything. So we're talking behind the scenes where we need to create a coalition and a group and, you know, things, you know, kind of came into fruition timing wise where we, we were like, okay, this is the time now we need to get this going. And it, it really just started from our podcast and getting those group of guys together. And then we talked behind the scenes and formed officially. That's amazing. How many, uh, how many players are a part of the Alliance? There's three executive members and seven board members, um, board of directors. So I would say like 10 of us total. And then almost we're like, Almost every single black um, Spanish minority player in the USL is all represented. So we're on Zoom calls with like 100 plus players sometimes. And almost everyone is on board from a player standpoint. That's amazing. That's amazing. I wonder, what are some of the programs that you guys are doing with the players? I mean, it's, it's not often that players are launching their own alliances. You know, normally we just have our players associations that do all this work for us. Right. You know, they, they're limited in what they can do. You know, they're right. fighting for our contracts, you know, exactly. uh, fighting for all of exactly. these other things. So I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, some of the things the USL BPA has done, um, you know, what programs, what, what initiatives have you guys uh, uh, invited to the group? Uh, would love to learn a little bit more. In terms of the, the athletes here, the yeah, black players? Yeah, the athletes. Like, are you guys, you know, partnering with different organizations to host yeah. webinars, workshops? Are you guys bringing guest yeah. speakers? Like, what type of work yep. are you guys doing with the athletes? So since October, we've been doing a monthly webinar with black influencers from different avenues. So we've gotten this guy, Darren Sproles, from the N, the National Athletic um, Professional Black Foundation. Definitely look him up. But... We're getting different black influencers. Got another couple financial advisors from Merrill Lynch, um, different advisors with different avenues and realms, not just within the sports realm, to help prepare us athletes for our next venture in life. So we've been doing that since October, and that's been once a month. Um, we also we did a Black History Month series last month where we're highlighting not it wasn't members of really just the executive board, as members throughout the whole league, highlighting you know different black and minority players throughout the league, what they've been doing, how they started soccer their projects on and off the field. But now this year going into it, we actually created some black jerseys for the USL and the league. We're going to promote for the players and amplify their voice some more and get, kind of give them like a platform on our social media pages and everything to enhance what they do. But yeah, we're, we're definitely, I mean, that's just some things, but most of the, a lot of the work that we do is kind of behind the scenes where, yes, of course you look on social media, what we're doing, but you know, we want like actual change. So and that, that, that takes, you know, work that you don't see in social media. So we're actually here in Charlotte. We just hired, I just got them to hire a black Trinidadian coach. So it's their first black coach in the club's history. My second black coach ever, right? Um, but yeah, we're trying to do that across the whole league, honestly, and give more players an opportunity to feel more comfortable within their environment. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. 
and I'm sure you know you guys are these are these are all volunteer positions. You guys are taking time out of your day to support others. So, yeah. you know that social entrepreneurship, that feedback loop is super important. And um, you know, I I think as as time continues, we'll continue to see certain changes. You know, we see we see our our figures who are making moves that we can only dream of. You know, Jay Z and, and what he's done over the past couple of weeks mind-boggling right i mean title square twitter all in all in one like what kind of avenues is he going to create and uh it takes positions and and moves like that to inspire people to make their own moves so uh kudos to you guys at uslbpa for all of the work that you guys do and i do want to focus on your your podcast and 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 your foundation want to learn a little bit more have your maybe some of our listeners listen in but uh walk us through the origin of the podcast you know w- what it means like if i were to listen to the podcast you know tomorrow what are, what am i going to get from your podcast well it's definitely progressed over the, it's going on three years now um it's definitely changed throughout the year so i founded it in 2018 in april but i started the idea of it in 2017 when i was in philly i was just sitting on my couch watching espn while i watch espn and i'm like these expert analysts, they never talk about soccer at all. They only talk about, you know, the world game. And if they talk about it, it's like, oh, cool, bicycle kick, scissors kick, and they laugh about it on the screen. Like, they have no idea what the game's about. So I'm like, how can I change that? And how can I do something cheap? Because this is a USL. I have, we're not getting paid buku money. So I have to figure out some kind of avenues. And this is before podcasts is really, like, taking off. I was like, why not just do a podcast? I was going, 2018 was my fifth year in the league, and I knew just about every single, I knew at least one person on every single team on the East Coast. So I was like, why not when teams come to me and I play against a team at home, I get my boy on that team to come sit down on my couch, and we talk about, you know, soccer and our journeys. So the first year was a lot of interviews of players talking about their behind-the-scenes experiences, talk about the journeys, you know, and the struggles that we go through just to become a pro. And then I progressed to 2019, my second year, Sorry, my second year in the podcast, my first year here in Charlotte, which is 2019, that I actually met a videographer out here. So it gave me more visuals. So that kind of changed my podcast as well. Now I'm showing people behind the scenes now what we're doing practices as a pro, what we're doing away trips and stuff like that. I'm interviewing more quality guys in the MLS, more guys from overseas that are here in Charlotte. And then from there, um, last year, as I told you, the whole movement and everything, my podcast changed from me speaking up using my platform and educating people. Not only did I have a black players edition, two two editions, I had a black coaches edition. I got like 10 black coaches throughout this country together to talk about the struggles of being a black soccer coach. This is very good. Um, and then from there, I found my foundation through my podcast. Uh, there's another couple other podcasts out here who reached out to me and they knew like a, an apparel company and we were like, why don't we create a Black Lives Matter t-shirt that's Charlotte specific and raise the money from the t-shirts for a foundation. And that's how my foundation started. And I was like, why not? People don't only want, it was like a Black Lives Matter t-shirt with a crown on top of the, what is it, the L or something. And so I was like, why not? You don't have to buy the t-shirt. Why not You know, give people the option to just donate regular money? So I created a GoFundMe and gave people the option to just donate money. Raised over $3,500 last year, had a clothes and food drive for the homeless here. And I gave a couple of check donations to a couple of charities here. All, all the money 
from my foundation goes to all different charities here. Um, another one was a creative player soccer foundation here, which helps minority kids through soccer, food, education, everything like that. So yeah, it's been good. It's been progressing over the year. I just had a Black History Month episode last month with a couple of black players and black coaches on it. I'm getting ready to interview a city council member here in Charlotte, talk about, you know, the visions for the city and how we can impact that. So it's been growing throughout the year, but I'm definitely trying to educate the people and give them different perspectives, not just what you hear from any typical athlete. You know, I could, I know I can do that and we all, I can hit up any so-and-so and just do a one-on-one -on -one interview and you hear the same kind of things, but I'm trying to give you like a different perspective in every way. That's, do you sleep? Man, it's <laughs> just moved into a house last week, bro. So it's been a crazy. Yeah. This is all I said. This weekend's been the first time in a while I've had time to just like relax. But you know, it's been a lot. Sometimes I had to take, I have to take, tell myself it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to have like a lazy day where you do nothing because it does kind of get overwhelming sometimes. But it's been good though. I'm not complaining. I was on the mission, on a bigger mission and stuff. So it's been good. Absolutely. You know, I know you. You know, um, you unpacked a lot there. There was foundation and charities and giving back and I got I just gotta say thank you for all that you do for your community you know it's it's people like you um that try you know I, I know there's a lot of people out there that have these grandiose ideas and want to do things it's we live in a day and age where action is respected right and too many too much people talk we have too much twitter everyone has an opinion not enough action so those that are out there actioning those actions uh I, I got to give their roses to now I, I know you, you know, you use your platform to uh, talk about, you know, the death of Ahmed Arbery with uh, which, which caught wind on social media. And, you know, you talked about the similarities as an athlete and jogging with Ahmed's case. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yeah. And that video kind of took off with everything. Honestly, if I didn't, I feel like if I didn't do that video, wouldn't have the BPA, I wouldn't have done my podcast how I did that. I really, yeah. So, you know, I'm from DC, but I moved down here in Charlotte now, the South and it was quarantine. So for quarantine, we had to stay in shape still. So I'm, you know, going on jobs almost every day. And then I'm on hopping in March. Now I'm like checking my shoulders, I have paranoia. Now I'm in an environment where I have no idea, you know, I'm in the South now. And, and I used to live in Richmond, play for the kickers. And I thought that was the South but being down here in Charlotte. It's the real South. And so I'm just jogging around in certain areas and I'm paranoid now. And so I'm like, you know, that just like literally sparked me. I'm like, I shouldn't be feeling this, especially as a pro athlete. And if I'm going through this as a pro athlete, then all my brothers are going through this as a regular person too. So I'm just like, why not use my platform and just create a video and just talk about my feelings and, you know, relate to how Mod felt because that's how I feel every day now. And like I said, I, I knew a videographer here because of 2019 when I was here in Charlotte, hit him up. We created this dope video and it kind of just like propelled my career from there. But yeah, I felt like the timing was now and I, I could really relate to Ahmad and rest in peace to him. But I wanted to continuously use his legacy to fuel what's been going on now. Being black is hard, brother. Mm -hmm. Being black is so hard. And um, I pray that before we, you know, before we pass, it, it, we, we, we leave it a little bit easier than we found it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a, as a black man that's looking at the world and 
looking at how much effect we have, you know, uh, we consider it the network effects, right? Your video caused a network effect, right? That video dropped as much as it, it went viral. Yes, it did. But the secondary market that it hit caused you right. to launch the USLBPA, you know, that right. it's almost right. this compound interest that you right. can build right. on. Right. Right. Very true. From a different standpoint. So mm -hmm. um, I, I, I've got to give you your roses while I still can. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, it's very humbling to see that, you know, there's people around the world just trying to make what's around them better. Right. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's got to mm -hmm. be Mandela or, you know, John F. Kennedy or any of these folks and kudos to them for what they do. But change starts in your circumference, everything that's around you. Right. Right. So, um, Thank you so much for joining us today, Hugh. I think, you know, you, of course. you, 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 you enable so many different qualities that, you know, I look to when I, when I think of an athlete entrepreneur, I think of someone that is really good at something, very, very good at something and realize because they're good at something, they have a voice. Mm hmm Right. And because I have a voice, I'm mm -hmm. going to use my voice to speak to the things that are important to me. So um, you've been able to do a great job at that. You've been able to do a great job at uh, being a professional. You've been able to do a great job at giving back to your community. You've been able to do a great job at just being you. And it sounds like you're just doing what feels natural. And uh, big shout out to your parents, man, and your family, mm. and, you know, your friends. Yep. Like, yep. People, people like you don't you don't just become this. Right. Like this right. is something that's groomed. You've yep. been groomed to have this type of heart, to have this type of mindset. Yeah. I mean, you know, very true. There's so many athletes that I meet that with their free time, they game. Cool. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You could game eight hours out the day. That's fine. That's fine. But you're gonna miss out on the compound interest. So there's ways to use mm -hmm. the tools around us. And uh, you've done an amazing job at using these tools and um Everybody from the Unplugged and the Athlete Tech Group team, thanks you so much for joining us. And of course, of uh, course, we'll definitely see you again soon. Definitely will, Randy. And I appreciate you as a host too. It's been a real good conversation. It's one of the rawest conversations I've had in a while, and it's good to see another brother doing this podcast up too. Not too many of us in that realm as well. So keep inspiring, and not just. And your questions are definitely like hard hitting questions too. That that's also something that. You know, as a podcaster myself, I understand the value of asking the way you ask questions and perceive things goes a long way into the show in general. So this is a dope show, bro. And I appreciate you. And I got you anytime. And if, I, if you're in D.C. or in Charlotte or something, we'd love to link up and get you get your tickets for your game or something. We definitely link up sure. soon. For sure. I'm definitely coming to D.C. to go go. So I'm going to need We'll definitely chat soon. Thanks so much, you. Of course, my man. You have a great rest of your weekend.